Amen. Listen, before you're seated, uh, yesterday when I was, before church started, I was here early and I was just walking around the altar just praying, asking God if there might be a specific word. The Bible calls a, a word of prophecy, a, a, word, a word of knowledge. And I felt the Lord spoke to me uh, something for people today. Um, I, I saw this picture. And I saw this picture of a box. And then the, this, you might call it a vision. It evolved and there was a, a person in that box. And the box was much bigger than the person. The person was walking around inside of it, clearly bound and limited by the box. And then I saw what was clearly the Lord's hand. And then that little bitty box was sitting in his big hand. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me to tell people that there's people that are here today that God has told them to do something, but what they're doing is they're living in the box. They're looking at their limitations. They're looking at their resources. They're looking at what they don't have rather than looking to the hand of Almighty God. Now, how many know it's not a wish, but when the Lord speaks to you to take a step, whether it's to Peter to step out on the water, whether it's to start a business venture, whether it's to whatever it may be, how many know when the Lord speaks to us, we, it may be physically impossible for us, but it's not impossible with God. And this is where our faith becomes the currency of heaven. And we take steps to believe God and act on his word. Praise the Lord. Amen. Give him one more big hand today. He indeed is worthy. And tell your neighbor, you are glad they're here. Church on Sunday makes the week better. What do you think? Yeah, I agree too, unless you happen to come on Saturday, by the way. Hey, turn your Bibles if you like. Acts chapter 15 we are continuing a series called Healthy Relationships. And certainly everyone would like to be able to get along with people. Every one of us would like to have a family that loves us and a family that we love. Uh, all of us want to have close friends, people that care about us. Uh, it doesn't happen accidentally. It doesn't happen automatically. But I'm calling it Healthy Relationships, Biblical Principles. We're going to the Bible as the source book of answers to help us to do this. The last couple of weeks we talked about uh, uh, how to have a happy home and our marriage and, and with our children. Well, today I want to shift gears and we want to ask the question, why do relationships fall apart? Why do yesterday's best friends hate each other today? How is it that a man and a woman could say, I love you today, but months down the road and they're willing to commit their life in marriage, but months down the road, I don't even like you, I don't know why I married you. Why do relationships fall apart? Well, this is what we're going to talk about today. And I want to suggest to you that it's like a bomb falls on the marriage or a bomb falls on the partnership. And that bomb brings destruction. And if I could show you a little clip to illustrate this, um, I'm going to entitle the message Relationship Bombs. But I want to use a little clip to put in your mind from World War II. The German Luftwaffe in World War II had planes called dive bombers. And uh, they would destroy buildings across Europe. Take a little peek at this, and this will give you something visual uh, to, for our message today. And those planes would level cities, they would level villages. But how many know you, you're supposed to drop bombs on your enemies, not your friends? Yeah. 
But yet sometimes in relationships, we unintentionally or unknowingly drop a bomb and it destroys our family or it destroys a friendship that was vital to us. And this even happens to Christians. It happened to the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 15. I'll use this as introduction. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas were a team. They did the first, the missions journey uh, to the Gentile world. And they said, let's go back and visit each city where we'd previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed, but he wanted to take along a man named John Mark. And here's where the problem came. But Paul did what? Disagreed. See, when I do this, I'm not just scratching my big old ear. I, I want you to tell me what it says, okay? Paul sharply. In other words, he threw a big fit because John Mark had deserted them at Pamphylia. In other words, they were on a mission together, but something happened there. We don't know if he got scared, but bottom line, Paul realized, I can't trust this man. He doesn't have my back, and he left me before, and he could leave me again. And uh, he said he's not going to go. But look at verse 39. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Now, how many know if that could happen to this great man, Apostle Paul, wrote two-thirds of the Bible, how many know it can happen to you and I? I mean, it's just there. It's a part of life. Barnabas took John Mark, and he's still serving the Lord. They go to Cyprus. Paul chooses Silas. And this is where the grace of God seems to follow with the Apostle Paul. And then they travel through Syria and Cilicia. Now, the good news in this entire message today is this, is that though a, a, a relationship could be torn and separated today, God can restore it tomorrow. Even John Mark and Paul were restored. So in the scripture it records that he wanted John Mark to, to come to him. So this message is going to be a, a, a little up close and personal. We're going to talk today about things that uh, make you maybe a little uncomfortable. Uh, but you're going to think about some past bad experiences or relationship. Maybe something you did wrong. I want you to hear this and hear it strongly. Don't let Satan condemn you. Don't let Satan condemn you, but let yourself be motivated that from this point forward, I'm gonna, not going to let that same bomb fall on my relationship. I'm not going to let the same thing happen that happened before. I'm not going to treat my kids today like I did yesterday. This is a new day. Come on, everybody, say a new day. Uh, we're going to talk about five things. We're going to talk about broken promises, broken trust, Unresolved offenses, and the key word is unresolved. How many know everybody gets offended all the time? We get offended regularly, but it's that we don't resolve the, the difficulty. That's what happened to Paul and Barnabas. Unresolved conflict. Conflict is the escalation of the offense. It gets, it gets a little violent sometimes. And lastly, one that hits close to home, relationships can fall apart because we fail to make time for people that we care about. Um, now, I'm not a reader of Dear Abby. She became secular a number of years ago, but I was scanning my paper yesterday, and the little headline caught my attention. It said, Disagreement may put in to 30-year friendship. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have many friends. For th I, don't have, I don't have many friends that I've known for 30 years. That's a long time. I've got one friend from high school. I've got some preacher buddies that I've walked with that we've walked together for over 30 years. But you, you can't just go out and manufacture them. You can't order a 30-year friendship from the Internet. And this is about to dissolve. Here are these two girls. They went to high school together. 
known each other for 30 years. They were bridesmaids. They supported each other when their parents passed away, celebrated graduations and wedding anniversaries. But during our last visit, we had a significant disagreement, and she didn't apologize. So, dear Abby, I'm done with her. What should I? She's not done with her, if she'd have only listened to my advice. But that's the deal. It happens to all of us, and sometimes it sneaks up on us. I want to help you with this today. And uh, what I'm going to encourage you to do is don't drop relationship bombs on people you care about. And let me show you what five of those bombs are that have the power to destroy, and uh, we'll take the other direction. Here's my first point. water break broken promises broken promises destroy relationships I'm talking about breaking your word or not keeping your vows let's look at an Old Testament example of two people that did keep their vow uh, Elkanah and Hannah of course you know the story they're the parents of a child that would be born his name is Samuel Samuel was born to be a prophet uh, the Jews were in a spiral downward uh, this man was going to be a judge. He would turn the nation back to God. But the interesting thing is God wanted this child to be raised in the temple by the priests. And uh, he needed some parents <laughs> to be able to release the baby to go. Well, Hannah's womb was closed. She couldn't have a baby. And she prayed and prayed. And finally God gave her the... Ch she made this promise to God and said, God, if you'll let me be pregnant and I have a baby, I'll give this child to the Lord and he'll serve the Lord all the days of his life. And that's a big thing. And God in his goodness, guess what? After Samuel was born, opened her womb, and she had a number of children. So God blessed her. But here's where we are. The baby's been born, and now the time comes to keep the promise. So Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to do what? Keep his vow. In other words, in his heart, more than likely, the vow was is that he would bring Samuel to the Lord, and he intended to do that. But Hannah didn't go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned. In other words, he's nursing. Let him get a little bit older. What do dumb men know about keeping up with a baby? She didn't say that, but that's what she meant. And she loved this child. Well, Hannah didn't go. She told her husband, wait, uh, and then I'll take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. That's a big thing for a mom's first baby. Samuel, uh, her husband said, whatever you think is best, stay here for now, and may the Lord help you May the Lord help you keep your promise. I want to suggest to you this is one of the most foundational principles of a healthy relationship is that you keep your word. How many know even arm's length relationship are affected when you don't keep your word? I had a contractor I'd hired to do something around my house and uh, I, I, I called him and uh, asked him, have you, have you come yet? I hadn't heard from him. And he said, no, not yet. Uh, when are you coming? Next week. Uh, and he didn't show up, and then I said, I called him back, and I said, hey, well, when can you come? And he said, I think, like, how about next Tuesday from 8 to 5? Well, who can be home from 8, you know, wait on the guy? He still didn't come. Now, when it comes time to renew contract, do you think I'm going to say yes to them again? No, because they didn't keep their word. How much more important in relationships that we care about. Doing what we say and keeping our promises keeps the relationship strong. 
It makes people feel secure. Your children feel secure. How many know uh, if you tell your child in the morning and they're crying in the car, I don't want to go to school. If you quit crying and go to school, uh, we'll get a snow cone after school today. Okay, mommy. That child has thought about that snow cone all day long. And if you get in the car, you better head to the snow cone stand. And not one that's closed. You better head to the snow cone stand. And But what happens if you don't? And you develop a pattern of that. You teach your child that your word doesn't mean much. Now, you may think that that's not that big a deal. But listen, if we don't keep our word and break our promises, the opposite happens. I want to tell you a story that I read as I was studying and researching this week. It was a letter that now a grown woman wrote to her father who had abandoned the family when she was young. It's very emotional, but I want to read it to help us as adults understand the pain a child has when a parent breaks a promise. It's called a letter to my father, the first man who broke my heart. It's, she writes, it's been almost a decade since you left, and the day is still vivid in my mind. How you left with promises of returning home every weekend. Slowly every weekend became once a month, and before I knew it, your absence became this gaping hole. Your departure was the first time I was taught the extent to which the human heart can crave for another person. I was 11. Your departure made me grow up so much faster. And it's been said that a daughter's relationship with her father is the most important one she has because it sets the foundation for how an acceptable relationship with males should be. I went into this spiral, acting up, dating guys who were no good. I kept trying to find you and every boy I dated, a futile pursuit it was. It's funny when I think about it, not too long ago I was your shadow. And all I ever wanted to be was exactly like you. But as I grew older, my optimism about you soured, all because of his broken promise. I saw you for the person you were, a man who left his family in pursuit of greener pastures. Your decision to abandon me haunts me to this day, as I constantly question whether the ones I cherish will leave me. Perhaps it's the daddy issues or the constant fear that I'll be inadequate for anyone. I've broken down about this multiple times, thinking about how heartless what you did was. I keep my emotions warped shut tightly in the recesses of my mind and finding it hard to explain something that this throbbing ache I have for a person who left me prematurely. I downplay my emotions to cope with the fact that you'll never be back in my life, let alone the way I crave for you to be. See, there's an unwritten contract between every parent and every child. It's easy and fun to create the baby. But with that creation of that baby, there is an unspoken contract that we'll be there for our children. This is missing in America. We're told in America that it doesn't matter. Well, this gal says it mattered. Um, every milestone I've had, I can't help but wonder how it would, what life would have been like if you were there to see me do well. Graduation, sports. Uh, the divorce changed my outlook on love. From being an ardent optimist, I've become a realist. I've accepted the inevitable impermanence of relationships because you forced me to embrace life's transience. And I'm thankful. I hope someday when it's my turn to get married that I'll be able to do right. And now that you've moved on with your life, I wish you the best. 
and I will always love you. When I read that, I was shocked because I virtually guarantee you this. And please, again, as I said earlier, and I begin this message, don't take any condemnation for any mistake that you have made. I mean, no, that's not of Christ. All our mistakes, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, he points us to the cross for forgiveness, and we learn the lesson. But don't let Satan beat you up. But that daddy, uh, that little girl, I guarantee you, if that daddy would just get on the phone today and say, Honey, I need to talk to you. I was wrong when I abandoned you, and I would like a chance to prove myself and start again. I guarantee you she would let him back in his life. Because there's a little girl inside her that got hurt when daddy broke his promise. Now, why am I reading this painful story in church? You cannot do anything about the past. But you can make a decision from today forwards. I'm going to treat my children and I'm going to treat my grandchildren. I'm going to give them the love they deserve. I'm going to sacrifice if I need to sacrifice. I'm going to keep my word to my children and those people that are important to me. Come on, somebody give the Lord a big hand. Whenever the devil tries to beat you up about your past life, you remember Paul the Apostle who killed Christians before he was converted, and he wrote down and he said, I was the chiefest of sinners, I was the biggest, but God used me as an example to show everyone that the mercy of God is great enough to cover all of our sins. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. But do not think that the bomb of a broken promise won't affect those you love. The Bible tells us how to keep this bomb from destroying our relationships. It is very simple, keep your promise. Psalm 15 says, keep your word even when it costs you. And this is the problem in America today. When it's painful or when there's a price to pay, we want to get away from it and start again. We're more in pursuit of pleasure. We're very averse to pain. But I suggest to you, let the keeping of our word near, be near the top of our life. And if you do that, the Bible says, you'll never get blacklisted if you live like that. Come on, praise the Lord. Now, let me give you my next point. All right, you're laughing a little bit, but don't you think when he made the promise and, and, and that unfulfilled promise fell in her little world, don't you think it destroyed her? That's the potential of the bomb. Here's the second one, and it's related to the first, but it's about trust. And when trust is broken, relationships are destroyed. Uh, the word trust, it means that I can rely on you. I, I can be confident in your integrity and honesty. In other words, when I trust you, I know you're going to do what you say. I know you're going to be where you said you were. I know that, 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 that uh, uh, I, don't, I can let my guard around you. I know I don't have to hire a detective to follow you to see if you're going to do right. I know I don't have to check your phone. I don't, know, I, I don't have to look at all of your internet history to make sure that you're living right. I can trust you. Trust is the foundation of a healthy relationship. The Bible uh, extolled this virtue when Moses selected the first leaders of his church in the wilderness, the 70 elders. Here's what God said. I want you to look for able men. We're talking about the leadership. In other words, people that have the capacity. But then he said this. You make sure these, these leaders fear God, but also that they are trustworthy. trustworthy. And they hate bribes, place these people as the chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Trust is a confidence that you're going to do what you said you would do. And, and I think this is one of the reasons that we hate politics in America. 
is because people make promises to us to get our vote. They change when they get to Washington or Austin because of the political pressure that's there or because a, a, a poll was taken and they now see that the, 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 the temperament has shifted in Washington or whatever the case may be, and we don't trust them. And there's a distrust in America. Trust is the foundation of it all. Trust is earned over time. Uh, but it can be broken in a moment. I was thinking of a friend of, of mine, Scott Wall. Uh, Scott's, uh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, but Scott's uh, uh, wife, Ruthie, started coming to church first. And she came two or three months before Scott came. And, and uh, uh, she, I would, in the back in the first service, and she'd always go out that way. And sooner or later, I said, well, tell your husband, hello, hopefully he'll come to church. Well, he comes one time. But when Scott comes, he sits towards the back, and his arms are folded, and he's just checking me out. Is this preacher lying to me? Because all he wants is my money. Can I? What is he, what's he saying is, can I trust him? And after about six months, he dropped the wall. Before you know it, we're best friends now. It's what we do. It's a natural thing in the world to protect ourselves, but trust is the currency of relationship. It can be broken in a moment. I don't know if, you're, if you've ever seen the old uh, Tom Cruise movie. It was called The Firm. Tom Cruise was a young lawyer, graduated from Harvard, hired by a Memphis law firm. But what he didn't know is this Memphis law firm, their biggest client was the mafia. And they're integrating him in the firm, and they get him off, and he does uh, a, a tax deal, and one of the, uh, I guess it's Aruba or somewhere. Well, anyway, the firm, mafia guys, set him up, so they would have something to use to hold over his head to control him in the future. And they lured him with a prostitute. And he said no and walked away. And then they came with another prostitute at a different angle and he fell. Well, then he goes back home and he's madly in love with his wife. And, of course, they know that the mafia and how are we going to get out of this. And they're at a restaurant and here's the scene. They're sitting at the table and they're trying to figure out what to do. And she, she says something like, well, we're doing the best we know how to do, aren't we? And he drops his head and said, no. And she said, what, what do you mean? Trusting wife. And he said, well, you know that day when I was in the Caribbean that night, she said, yeah, you were walking on the beach. And he drops his head and said, she said, no, you didn't. What was her name? He said, I don't even know. She said, what kind of person would sleep with someone one night away from their wife and you don't even know their name? And then Tom Cruise said, Abby, I promise. And she stopped. She said, you can't promise me anymore. Never can I trust your promise. Now that's the power of broken trust. But the good news was, and this was a movie, granted, but he, towards the end of the movie, he kept his promise and he guarded his clients and all that and Abby fell back in love and it was great. But the good thing is you and I can rebuild trust too and we'll talk about that. Uh, this pain behind broken trust, Psalm 41 verse 9, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, I duck hunted with him, turkey hunted with him, I shared my food with him, he's turned against me. Now, the Bible tells us how to keep this bomb from destroying relationships, the trust bomb. It gives us another example of how to live. His name is Daniel. Daniel is not the slave boy. Now he's an administrator in this foreign country. 
and the other guys want to want to get him out and they began searching for some fault in Daniel. Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn him. Now listen, if you don't hear anything else today, live like this. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. If you want to live a life that earns the trust of people, live like that. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? Be where you said you'd be. Don't have a secret life. Share your password with your spouse. Let your life be an open book. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. And again, let me, let me encourage you. If trust has been broken, it can be rebuilt. And the way you rebuild it is just start doing trustworthy things. If you messed up before and you were hiding it on your phone, put your phone right out there and just let her have access to it or let him have access to it. Just say, look, I'm living right. I want you to know it. You can rebuild trust. But let me say this before I close. If someone has violated your trust and you have closed yourself to them and they genuinely want to come back and they are repentant, they are remorseful, and they are trying, please let them because they're not going to continue to act like that for long. You can push them away forever. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. All right, let's go on to the third one now. The third bomb, unresolved offenses. They destroy. Proverbs 18, 19, it says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. What does that mean? Let's just say you and I were buddies, and I offended you, and I tried to come to your house, but I couldn't get in because you had a gate that was there with a big fence around it. Well, I still have enough testosterone in me I can hop the fence but then there's those two Rottweilers standing by the fence and if I somehow happen to trick them get a Whataburger and throw it over the side and take care of the dogs I get to the house and the doors are bolted and there's cameras all there you have locked yourself away from me and I can't get to you unless you allow it now that's what the Bible says an offense can do an offense by definition it is to displease or hurt someone it is to feel insulted or outraged at the behavior of another person. It is to harbor persistent ill will because what you perceive they did was wrong. Now, how many know sometimes you can get offended and, and, and it's kind of dumb? Uh, I've offended people in church. Walking down there, I had someone approach me one time, true story, and said, you hurt my feelings. And I said, okay, what did I do? You didn't shake my hand when you walked down the aisle. You shook everybody else's hand but me. That's true now. They had a sensitivity, a need, their pastor, father figure, friend, whatever. Well, I just couldn't shake everybody's hand. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't deliberate. But how many know offenses are out there? Now, here's what Satan, John Bevere calls offenses the bait of Satan. Because what Satan's goal is to, is to divide and destroy relationships. Doesn't the Bible say he's a murderer, he's a thief from the beginning? He's out to steal, kill, and he wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to separate you from your kids. He wants to break your great friendships. He wants you to get offended from fellow church members. This is what Satan wants to do. Offended people will sometimes attack, but they usually withdraw and pull away. They usually give up on the relationship when they swallow the bait of offense. If you're a fisherman, you know, if you, ideally you're catch and release. You catch the fish, you 
set the hook quick, it hooks in their jaw. Mr. Bass comes up and you, put your, uh, you take him out, you just take the hook out and put him back in the water and all is well. But if you're fishing with a cork and they're not biting, they're just kind of nibbling, you leave him longer to nibble so you're sure you got him. And he maybe pull it down once, twice, and the third time you set the hook. Well, what he's been doing is now he's swallowed the hook. And when you get that fish in the boat, you see that the hook is not in his jaw. It's got all the way down in his stomach. And that fish is dead. You cannot get that hook out and that fish should be alive. That's what happens when you get offended. When you let something happen and you don't quickly go to resolve it, you don't quickly deal with it, you swallow it and it gets down deep inside you and it is death to you. It will separate you from some of the most important relationships in your life. Well, the Bible tells us how to keep this bomb from destroying our relationships and I don't like it. You won't either. Because here's what I, when I, when, when, when I get offended, here's what I want to happen. I'm going to sit here and I want to pout. I kind of like to pout sometimes. Anybody else? I'm amazed at people that lie in church. It just, it amazes me. I want to pout, and I want you to call me. I'm going to see you that it's you, but I'm not answering. You can go ahead and leave your voicemail, but I ain't calling you back. I want you to call me two or three. I want you to grovel a little bit, and then I'm going to talk to you. And when I do, I want you to get down on your knee, you know, and I want you to tell me what a rotten dog you are and I want you to give me a big gift card to Outback to make things better. <laughs> and Cabello's in the same deal. Okay, I'm not that, quite that bad. But here's what the Bible says. If, you're, if, you, if another believer sins against you, say it with me. Go privately and point out the offense. Go how? Do what? But you go. Because God's goal... Is reconciliation. Satan's is to split us apart. You have to humble yourself and go. And don't go like this saying, hey, look, dirty dog, I want to tell you what you did to me. You hurt me more than anybody's ever hurt me in my life. And I just know the Bible told me I'm supposed to go to you and tell you, and now I've told you. <laughs> Not exactly what we're talking about. You say, hey, look, man, I need to talk to you. Uh, I got my feelings hurt. See, if I point at you, then you're defensive. But if I say, I got my feelings hurt, and I need you to help me. Can you humble yourself enough to do that? To your spouse, to your dad, to your friend, to your boss, to an employee. I got my feelings hurt, and I want you to help me. What happened? And you can go into it or whatever. But at some point, rather than, here's what we want to do. We want to figure out who's right or who's wrong, and we want to win. What the Bible says is we humble ourselves and restore. I want to ask you to forgive me. And if you know specifically what it was, you apologize for that and ask for forgiveness. Now, if they give it or not, that's going to be their choice. Next week, by the way, we're going to talk about forgiveness, which is God's reset button. But you go to them and you endeavor, you humble yourself and you apologize. I'm telling you, friend, you've just kicked the devil right in the teeth. Because when things like that happen, people get back together. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let's look at a couple more here. Uh, here's the next point, the fourth one. Isn't it true? A bomb of unresolved offense will destroy your relationship? Sure it will. 
Let's step above uh, offense to conflict. Unresolved conflict destroys relationship. Let's talk about Adam and Eve's kids. Genesis 4, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd and Cain cultivated the ground. He was a farmer. He was a gardener like me. When it was time for harvest time, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Verse 4, Abel brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. What does that mean? Abel sacrificed an animal and he brought a portion of that as a sacrifice. You may find this a bit repulsive, but when Adam and Eve sinned, sin was so serious that an animal had to be killed for God to give them skins to cover, animal skin to atone for them. And from then throughout the crucifixion of Christ, the way that sins were paid for or atoned for or covered in God's economy, by God's rules, was that blood would be shed. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Abel brought a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Cain brought what, whatever he had, his quote, best. Well, the Bible says the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he didn't accept Cain and his. You might think it unfair, but God gets to write the rules. Come on. This made Cain angry. Now, he was really angry at God, but he took it out on his brother. He was angry and looked dejected. And God said, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? And then he told him, here's the standard, you'll be accepted if you do what is right. And most conflict happens because somebody does what is wrong. On our newspaper this morning, our Texarkana Gazette, the top two articles above the fold were about two murders that happened in Texarkana in the last three days. Yesterday, a young man, 21 years of age, somewhere on Summerhill, went there and shot his daddy in the chest. And later on, went to the police and turned himself in. Something happened. Some kind of conflict got out of control. And rather than a father and dad that loved each other, there's a dead dad and there's a son that killed him. Understand this, how it applies to life. I mean, the Bible is relevant to life. Cain was angry, uh, and notice what God said. God said, if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. What? Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Satan is behind this. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. You've got to subdue it. In other words, you've got to deal with the conflict. You've got to deal with the offense. offense. You must be its master. He didn't, though, and one day, verse 8, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go in the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. This is what happens with conflict. There are conflict, if you don't deal with it, will cause destruction in any relationship. It will probably not cause you to murder somebody, but I can pretty much guarantee it will cause you to break away. I can pretty much guarantee it will cause you not to go home at Christmas. It'll cause you not to send the thank you card when a gift was sent. Conflict can cause you to get angry and throw things. Conflict can cause the police to come to your home. Conflict can cause your spouse to go to the domestic violence. Are we with us today? This is real life. There's right and wrong ways to deal with conflict. The silent treatment or refusing to communicate is wrong. Refusing to deal with the issue. Roots will grow in your emotions and you'll lash out. 
I bought some blackberries uh, the other day to replace some that weren't bearing. And uh, uh, I, I got them in the mail, and I, I read the, first I called to ask what to do because of the cold, and the lady told me just read the directions. But anyway, uh, I did. And it, and it said, when you, you know, spread the roots out, put them in the ground, and when you get them there, you cut off the little stem that's left. But then it said in big black letters, wait 45 days for the new shoots to come up. And I'm thinking, what's happening in 45 days? Roots are growing underground. And what's happening with conflict until you deal with it, roots are going underground and it's polluting you. It's making you angry. It's why people pull a gun after something that happened two weeks ago. It's because conflict. So what do I do, Pastor? Take the Bible's advice. You go to your brother. You humble yourself. You seek reconciliation. You ask for forgiveness. The Bible says in Proverbs, if you conceal your sin, you will not prosper. But if you confess and forsake it, you find mercy. And I want to tell you, friends, how many know it's mercy we all need, so it's mercy we need to give. Don't let the conflict control us. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand. Okay, let me, let me wrap up one more that, that's very close to home. That's the last bomb of the day. We've destroyed everything. You know what they built back all of Europe? When those bombers went through the towns of London and other places, they decimated the cities, but they built it back. And this is going to be the hope that can come from us. But here's my last one. Failure to make time for people we love will destroy relationships. John chapter 11, Jesus is our example uh, the Jews were trying to kill him, so he withdrew from Jerusalem until it was the time. But he stopped his public ministry among the people, and he left Jerusalem. And he goes to the village of Ephraim, and what does it say? He stayed there with his disciples. Now, a very innocuous statement, but I want you to think about what it meant. He spent weeks and weeks and weeks there with this same group of people. They were important to him. Ten of those twelve disciples that were with him would die a martyr's death, and eleven of those twelve people would be responsible when Jesus died to take the gospel to the whole world. But because they were that important to him, he spent time with them. And here's what I want to tell you. If you and I stop investing time and giving attention to people who are important to us, we grow apart. I had been married to Linnell 36. She's nodding. I got it. 36 years, and if we're not careful, we can grow apart. If we're not careful, all she can want to do is go on mission trips. If I'm not careful, all I can want to do is go turkey hunting and duck hunting and, and work in the garden. Are you with me today? There has to be a time invested deliberately in people we love or the relationship crumbles. Now, I'm going to close with a song. It's a secular song, so don't freak out. Every once in a while, secular people... Uh, Tap into a spiritual truth. Uh, it's a Jim Cro uh, Harry Chapin song called Cats in the Cradle, and I got a comment after it. Listen to this, and again, we're talking about what happens when we don't spend time with people we love. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. Away, but his smile never did and said, I'm gonna be like him. 
yeah, you know I'm gonna be like him. I said I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids are the flu. But it's your nice talking to you, Dad. It's been your nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Well, that's a sad song. But what it is, it's about two people at different stages of their life. When a little boy is young and dad's ambitious, dad doesn't have time for him. But when dad gets old and the little boy is grown up and ambitious, he doesn't have time for dad. I'm going to read you an interesting comment. I found this, I found this song on YouTube, and right under it was a little comment. It was a letter that someone had posted. It was a man, and he said, My mom told me that when I was two years old until about five, my dad would go to work from seven to five, and then from like seven till two o'clock in the morning, he'd play baseball or go drinking with his friends on the weekend. Until one night, he and my mother were driving home, and this song started to play on the radio. My mom remembers the car was completely silent, and then she heard Dad sniffling and turned to see my dad crying with tears streaming down his face. She said to my dad, what's wrong? And he turned to her and said, do you think this is the example I'm setting for my son? And my dad at that moment stopped going out so much and spent much more time with my sisters and me, and I learned just then how great a dad he really is. Now, you remember we said earlier, none of us can go back and fix the past. But we can all start today going forwards. And I want to tell you, friends, we can destroy life by with people. We can destroy relationship by not spending time with people we love. But if we make a decision today that that circle of people that matter the most to me in my life, I'm going to stop being so self-centered and I'm going to start showing my love by spending time with them. You know what's going to happen? Relationships are going to get stronger and healthier. People are going to get happier, and you're going to be more satisfied with your life because you've thrown one of those bombs back to the devil and said, get away from me. I'm not letting that bomb destroy my household. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Well, I hope you got something out of this today. Next week, forgiveness, the reset button. Why don't you stand to your feet? And don't think about Cracker Barrel yet, okay? No Mexican, no Italian, no pot roast. I want you to just take about four or five minutes now, and let's just allow the Holy Spirit to do something with what we heard today. And if I could have your attention just a second. The Bible tells us, don't just be a hearer of the Word, but be a doer. Could we just... Stand before the Lord one last moment in prayer and bow our heads. And I want, I'm going to kind of lead in prayer, but I want you to be praying for yourself. And could we start by saying, Lord, I, I want to ask you to forgive me. I want to ask you to forgive me for broken promises. I want to ask you to forgive me for any way that I've broken trust with someone I care about. God, I ask you to forgive me if, if I let an offense just simmer and stew until it spilled over into a conflict that was never resolved. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for my part in that. I ask you to forgive me today, God, if I've neglected the 
the people that are most important in my world. And Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to help me from this day forwards to be a better person. I realize that bombs have power to destroy. But I don't have to let them in my home. I don't have to let them in my heart. And I don't have to let them in my life. But I'm going to need you to help me. If you want the Lord to just anoint you fresh and give you special help, I want you to just slip your hands to heaven like a little child. Because see, people that drop these bombs on their family, they don't do it because they hate their family. It's just like they're out of control. It's like the flesh is in control. So I want you to just say, Holy Spirit, help me. I just want to surrender to you. I want to ask you to help me be a spiritual person. I want to ask you to help me keep my word. Don't let me run off at the mouth and make a promise I can't keep. Help me, Holy Spirit. Be someone that's simply, that does what they said they'll do so people will trust me. And for some of us, we need to go to someone and ask forgiveness. We need to make an apology for an offense or conflict. Would you ask the Lord to help you do that? And not put it off any longer. And not try to defend myself. But just go humbly to try to restore. And Lord, would you help me figure out my calendar. So I'll have the right amount of time for me. But also the right amount of time for people I love. Help me, Holy Spirit, today do these things. Help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. We're going to close this way, and I'm going to ask you if you just don't have to leave, not an emergency. Just linger with us just a second because people are going to be making steps to Christ. It's distracting often when people are moving. But they're going to sing one last song. But during this song, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forwards, and they'll pray with you about anything. Maybe this whole series on relationships, there's a relationship that you're in or that you used to be in that's in trouble, and it just bothers you. And you want someone to pray with you specifically about that. Want them to anoint you. Listen, we'd be delighted to do that. But we'll pray about anything here. But the most important prayer we'd like to pray is for anyone here that would like to get their life right with God. What I mean by that is, if you're here today and you'd like to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm really fortunate. My parents made me go to church when I was a child. But how many know going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going in McDonald's makes you a hamburger? Coming to church is a good thing. It makes you aware of God. But something big has to happen. If I could use the cross to illustrate the Lord, we live most of our life like Adam and Eve did in rebellion against God. Now, we may not be murderers. We may not steal. But we're still doing our own thing. And periodically, we stop and we look and we say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I know. He's... We might even pray when we're in trouble. But after the prayer's over, we just kind of keep going our way. Well, if you can imagine, there's an imaginary throne on your heart. And only one person can sit on that throne. It's you or it's Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't want to just be your Savior to get you to heaven. He wants to be the Lord of your life. And there's a marvelous thing that happened. It happened to me when I was about right here, 19 years of age, August 15, 1976. I left home to escape my problems. I joined the Navy, but before I left, I had a new car. Uh, I had an athletic scholarship. I always had beer in the cooler. I had dates, but I was empty inside because none of that stuff met the God need that I had. And as a young man, I stopped 
and I realized that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. I realized that if I believed in him, I could have everlasting life. I realized that he had been calling people to follow him since the day he was on this earth. And it was almost like I heard, I heard him calling my name. And I said yes to Jesus that day, and I've been following Christ ever since. Maybe today is that defining moment in your life. Maybe you used to walk with the Lord and got away, or maybe today is the first time you want to give your life to Christ. Ask for his forgiveness and commit your life to follow him. We would be honored to pray with you and give you some things to help you on your journey with God. And if you feel right now like I'm talking to you, that's the Holy Spirit just using my voice. And I'm going to encourage you when he begins to pray that you just take a bold step, slip out of your chair, and come right over to the cross. You say, why do I need to come to the cross? It's something powerful about walking away from the old and walking towards the new, which is Jesus. And we'd be honored to pray with you. Zach, go ahead and begin to sing right now. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They're here for prayer for anyone that needs prayer. And most importantly, if you need to, write, to get right with God, don't let anything stop you. We'll meet you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming today.